Hello there! It's Friday, which means it's time once again for the best movie podcast ever. The only movie podcast to offer objective and hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. I am your host, the podcaster with no name. And with me, as always, hush, hush, thought I heard a call in her name now. Uh, it's Anthony James! <laughs> Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> I don't actually know the second line to that. I wrote it down, and then I, and then I started like kind of getting into it, and I, I kind of just, I, you know, when you don't really know the words to a song, you're just like, I heard it, I heard it, like when you're in a in a yeah, club. You were that. actually feeling it, Conrad. Yeah. Uh, Conrad, I'm not not to pick you. It seems like every this last week I picked up something you did wrong in the intro. I'll do it again, Shit. Conrad. Shit. Because if the if the listeners were paying attention to my half of the screen there, I was mouthing along your intro with you there. Uh, and when you got to the point where you said podcast with a name, I went, as if to say Conrad, and you didn't say Conrad. I did not say my own name. Well, then you I, are I've, truly the podcast. I've remained true to the podcast. I sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. Like it, it, you know, it, it really, yeah. I like to maintain a, an air of mystery around myself, yeah. folks. We've got a cracking show for you today. <laughs> We've got a great back to the feature, back to form with a movie that I actually like. As opposed, like last week was Cable Guy, which we can all we can all agree no one likes that movie. Um, it's a dark comedy. It's it's it's, it's it was before its time, yeah, Conrad. Yeah. Weird Matthew Broderick uh, black comedies. <laughs> um, we're gonna talk about weird St. Louis, St. Louis, St. Louis. I'm not actually so, sure. How you, I think it's St. Louis. Um, cults. Yeah. Uh, more Indiana Jones stuff. There's a movie coming out that sounds really cool um and we are going to turn this podcast into a very quiet place in case emily blunt and john krasinski come and get us for our thoughts on the sequel to a quiet place it's a quiet place part two that's what we're going to be talking about <laughs> let's talk about some gosh darn i almost said god damn there i've censored myself gosh darn movies well, you've just... <laughs> you just okay, okay let's gosh darn do it Movies, specifically Indiana Jones. I'm saying things really weirdly today. I just kind of said Indiana Jones. Indiana Indiana Jones. Jones. We talked about it um, a couple of weeks ago that some photos on the set Mm -hmm. of that there Indy 5 emerged. Um, We've seen some new pictures uh, this week and uh, Toby Indiana Jones is is a member of the cast. Apparently, he's playing um, Indy's sidekick in this one. So uh, Toby Jones, famous for playing a bunch of varied Mm -hmm. roles, including... Uh, British intelligence bastards in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, yeah. uh, Nazi, uh, excuse me, Hydra scientists in. I think it was just the first Captain America he was in. He might have been in. He was. A, he was like you know in Winter Soldier. He was like a computer version of himself. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, so he turns out and uh, and a grocery store manager who it turns out to be a badass in uh, in The Mist, which was a great movie. He's, he's but, also he's also in a fantastic BBC Two show. Anyone international viewers, you could have a look up detectorists and it's about uh, metal detectors him and Mackenzie crook who you might know as the one-eyed guy from uh pirates of the caribbean it, it, it dates me that like when people say Mackenzie crook the their office. first thought isn't the office but you know the yeah. office was a long time ago now unfortunately well, I, I will say i absolutely love the office and my i would pref- I, you know it's one of my favorite comedies of all time having said that i will admit when i was 12 or 13 i first saw him in pirates of the caribbean yeah. I, I, I do. I will say though, I do have a Mackenzie Crook fantasy children's novel autographed by him. Well, hold on to that because yeah. he's got it in a charity shop for me. I think it was like, like two quid. Oh wow! Well, that's 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 a good price. 
It's got to be worth honest. more. Um, so Toby Jones is 100% going to betray Indiana Jones in this movie. I think we can all agree upon that. He's a he's a British actor who <laughs> yeah. no- normally plays villains. Um, I, I can't believe, like to, like, to be honest with you, think about Toby Jones, right? I can't believe he hasn't been in Indiana Jones before. He seems, I know. He's, he's they got bloody type. Ray Winston in one of them, but they didn't get Toby Jones. <laughs> so yeah, what, are you, yeah. what are you playing at? Um, maybe he'll be like Ray Winston's character in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and just constantly change sides without any provocation. Um <laughs> God, that movie sucks. But anyway, Indiana Jones 5, we continue to look forward to that. Toby Jones is a really good actor, a good addition to the cast. Um, now, I- I'm going to take a a news uh, U- U-turn, or at least a hard left here, mm-hmm. um, to something that isn't actually new news this week. It was written about a few years ago, but it's resurfaced again um, for, for, for some reason. Um, in fact, actually, I know exactly what the reason is. So um, I'll start this off by asking you, Anthony, the question, uh, have you ever watched Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Um, I've seen the first two episodes when it first okay. came out. So the answer is no, because I, I don't really remember anything That's except right. for the fact that she came out of being in, in, in a little box or something yeah she was in like a like a like kind of sex doomsday cult yeah. kind of thing um and, it, and funnily enough it turns out that ellie kemper was in a real cult when she was younger and uh, there was an article written by i want to say vanity fair um but it's it, i've got a it's a weird instance of my podcast listening crossing streams here because i listen to another movie podcast called battleship pretension and one of the people in that is from st louis um st louis I'm gonna keep saying it wrong, so I might just the stop thing saying is, it. I, every, I, I, I always hear St. Louis, but there's also the film Meet Me in St. Louis. So yeah, I think it's St. Louis. But St. Louis, well, Louis Cardinals. Does that make sense? Or St. Louis Cardinals? I think it's St. Louis. But who knows? But it doesn't. It doesn't matter all that much. What matters here is that in this city there is something called the Veiled Prophet Ball, where basically all the rich white people, and they are all white because uh, it, it, it's it, they don't let uh, minorities and Jewish people join in, go to a masked ball where they get together and they parade around like kind of debutantes at court, um, like right. in eyes wide shut, and eventually a secret committee. And this is all like the richest people in in um, in the city, uh, and then they get together and they elect. Uh, so a, a queen of the ball uh, called the Queen of Love and Beauty. So imagine this like room full of the richest white people uh, in, in in like an entire state parading around like, and they're all wearing these like extravagant masks, parading around other other like beautiful masked women. Um, and Ellie Kemper, it turns out, w- competed in this and won it in 1999. And um, it came out uh, fairly recently because she finally responded to I think it was the Vanity Fair article saying. It was it was probably not a good thing that she, that she was in this. And to be fair, you know, she was quite young. She was like eighteen. But it's still, I I love the fact. What? No, I'll I'll recount that. I don't love the fact it exists. But God bless them for being so brazen about acknowledging its existence. Hang on, two thousand nine. Yeah. So not a that, long time ago. It still can. She she was in the American office, I believe. Yeah, I think she was. Was that that mustn't mustn't have been long after two thousand nine? No, I think this. I mean, so it's literally when you're like eighteen, nineteen. So she was probably in her early twenties when she was in the American yeah. office. Um, but yeah, so the only the only concession that this nightmarish cult of rich white people have made is changing it from the veiled profit ball, which sounds like something that has a human sacrifice at the end of it, to fair St. Louis, uh, which is. <laughs> Doesn't sound as insidious. That but, sounds like the uh, like the like not as not as insidious, but 
it is still like morally reprehensible. The ball that it takes place in Borat Two. I don't know if you've seen Borat Two yet, but no, there's, a, I there's, there's a ball which him and his daughter go to in Borat Two. Um, and like they do like it's a daddy daddy daughter like deep south ball where sort of it's almost like parading around your son, young sons and daughters like sort of matching up the rich people. Okay. And and uh, his that daughter similar to this. His, his daughter does a dance uh, and she she says like a dan- a dance of her people and she like <laughs> she starts like uh, lifting up her dress and oh, okay. there she has she is on her time of the month we'll say very yeah. and it's a heavy flow day uh and it, the people there are absolutely disgusted <laughs> i should watch that movie you really need to like it seems all right it's not even like through a, an active choice to not watch it i just i don't know i need to be in the right mood for 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 sasha baron cohen otherwise it, it's just too cringy it, may, it makes my it makes no, my soul you, hurt you need to watch because borat like borat is the classic you know what i mean like borat is the classic yeah. the old leg interviews too but i mean borat is the one where he's able to sort of bring in the political um arguments and stuff into it and and he's sort of it's really it's really interesting he's almost like giving the opposite point that we did in the first Borat, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's really, really interesting. I think you should watch it. I, I definitely should watch it. Um, I will get round to that. Uh, that is definitely a movie that is it, on my list. It has reminded honestly. me, though, you talking about this debutant ball. There was a film, now, I'm not going to say it was a great film, I don't remember much about it, but it was, I can't even remember the name, because I'm furiously Googling there while you were talking, and I cannot remember, but it was like a fake mockumentary horror style i don't know if it was a found footage uh but it was definitely mockumentary like they they would try to convince you it was real and they start looking into this cultists or this sort of occurrences and it ends up with them going to one of these balls right yeah uh, and it's all filmed like mockumentary style and it's quite creepy at the end and mm. it ends up like one of them gets targeted as like the sacrifice um it's really really cool but i can't remember the name but i'm sure someone out there will so so it's e- what you've described there is or either what we do in the shadows which no. is no, <laughs> which is the comedy the shadows or it's um the exorcism of um I, the last exorcism or something it's, there's one where where they they're like he's like a charlatan um preacher there's no exorcism he, in it no there's no okay. hmm. see the thing is i i know it's not really good to say mockumentary because it makes it sound like a comedy but it's not that it's, I don't think it's I suppose you'd have to say found footage but I don't yeah, even, found footage but I don't know if it's portrayed as if it's like we found this footage I, I can't remember if it was portrayed that way or if it's portrayed like these people actually made a documentary about that you know anyway anyway mm. that's it's kind we'll of like to... the, it's kind of like the, the movie catfish but a horror yes well I mean that movie is horrific in many ways uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah after after if you remember that tell me what it is because that sounds interesting um so the last piece of news that I wanted to discuss today, um, and it's right up your street, which is the reason I just kind of tacked this on to the end of the news segment, uh, is uh, have you have you seen the trailer for slash heard anything about The Tomorrow War, which is coming out in like a week's time? No, two weeks' time from uh, recording. No. So it's like Edge of Tomorrow, time travel, alien-related stuff starring Chris Pratt and J.K. Simmons, which on the face of it is a bit like, mm, this might be a bit generic, but it's from the director of uh, of uh, Lego Batman, Christopher McKay, which is why I'm a bit, I'm, I'm like, this could be quite good. Mm-hmm. But it's, the premise is basically uh, that a bunch of ragtag 
uh, human resistance fighter types travel back in time to the middle of a football field uh, in in the middle of a, of a game and basically say to everyone there, we need you to come to the future to help us fight because we're losing this war against aliens and Chris Pratt is one of the people that gets sent to the future to fight. Um, oh, that's an interesting premise. Yeah, I thought I'd mention it to you because, you know, like we made our we made our bones with time travel related stuff here yeah. on here on uh, the culture cave and that slots quite nicely into it so maybe we'll cover that at some point in the future yeah that's that sounds really cool i will i will say um like obviously i love time travel i'm looking forward to that Ed, uh, edge of tomorrow or live die repeat or whatever it's called it was really good uh, mm. but i but i will say uh conrad i will say that i don't who would have thought that making uh one of my favorite actors an a-list star would sour me to them. Uh, oh, well, Chris Pratt. Yeah, like see yeah. when he was in Parks and Rec, I I honestly love the man. And then whenever he like got a role as Star Lord, I was like, okay, this is awesome. Yeah. And then the first few Guardians of the Galaxy movies, I was like, yes, awesome. It's just like you know the it's that guy from Parks and Rec, he's doing it. And now I'm just like, maybe it's also like the the real churchiness we talked about. That yeah, last week it doesn't help that like his brother has like links with the Proud Boys. <laughs> like yeah, that's, there's, that's there's a. That like Chris Pratt, I, I didn't know it, that, it, and that's even worse now. Yeah, like the, the Chris Pratt is one of those examples of, uh, and I am gonna, I am gonna curse slightly here. So cover your ears if you're if you're underage, listeners. Uh, the higher a monkey climbs, the more you can see its ass, yeah. <laughs> like, which is uh, which is a quote from Phoenix Nights, <laughs> and uh, and it's uh, it's it's remained true throughout like uh, throughout the the 25 years yeah. since that show aired. And, and, that, that and that's get... that's that sphincter is well on show now. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no hiding from yeah. from all of Chris Pratt's dirty <laughs> laundry and it's pretty dirty as it turns out. Um I'm on Anna Faris's side. <laughs> is, what, <laughs> is what I've decided. She is the um, house bunny. Yes, she was. I never saw that movie. Although uh look, I'm a guilty I don't believe in guilty pleasures because you like what you like, but it, the traditional guilty pleasure I suppose for Anna Faris for me would be the hot chick <laughs> with uh, with Rob Schneider and Rachel McAdams. Unbelievable. Oh. Okay, well, we need to move swiftly on from this segment because <laughs> we're, 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 we're hemorrhaging credibility as we speak. <laughs> we're, we're get, I'm, don't worry, I'm going to save it by, by quickly dovetailing this with the exciting new, and yes, it is still new, game show feature here on <laughs> the Best Movie Podcast Ever. That's right, folks. It's your favourite and mine. Back to the feature! <laughs> here we go here we go so for those of you who have not listened before this is the game show segment where i have selected a movie from 25 years ago today anthony will have five chances to guess the movie he will hear five clues each clue he hears will lower the score he gets and please play along at home anthony are you ready i went a bit john I'm ready john anderson there okay <laughs> here we go Clue the first. Actor Tony Jay, who played the villain in this movie, was also the narrator in the Animaniacs, as well as a recurring character in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Or Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, if you watched it in the UK. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. I, yeah. well, that's hilarious that I didn't know that, because I didn't watch it in the UK. I was in Australia. Um, yeah, you saw the good version. So Tony Jay... Did you say there that he's 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 a cast member of the Animaniacs or an animator? Uh, he, he's the he's the the narrator of the um of the Animaniacs. Okay, and is he? He did a bunch of stuff to be honest. So he's this 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 film is is this a is is this did he direct this film or is he in this film? No, he's just, he's an actor in this movie. He played okay. the villain, played right. the villain in this movie, and he is in a lot of animation throughout the nineties and early eighties. 
Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Alright, so, 96. I'm leaning towards animation here just because of who it is. Tony J. Um, so, it, 96, 96, 96. Mulan. It's not Mulan. I think Mulan was slightly later. But yeah, it's a good I'm, guess. Okay. I need more, Connor. I need more. Well, you, you've, you've absolutely set the house on fire with your form um in the last few weeks so the elusive five pointer is still yeah. out there but you know five point is a hard one i've got to make it hard it's got to <laughs> yeah. be hard to get otherwise it means nothing yeah. um okay clue two directors kirk wise and gary trousdale reunited for this animated film so you were correct in l- looking for an animation after helming the only animated movie to be nominated for the best picture oscar and that's prior to this being released. There are actually two others now, but okay, awesome. Point. So we're we're talking about the directors of Beauty and the Beast. Um, what would they have done next? I I'm usually good with my Disney director. Um, trivia. And the question is, what were their names again? Can you tell me? Uh, Kirk Wise and Gary Trousdale. Right. I think now I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure, but I'm thinking that they are the same directors as Moana and the Princess Frog. They're far too late, obviously. Ninety six, not the Lion King. They didn't direct that, and it's too early. Um, could be Hercules. I'm gonna push you for an answer. But he is Tony J is not the bad guy in Hercules. Um, I'm gonna go. Ah, uh, uh, no, I don't. I'm, I'm really struggling here. Uh because I, I, all the ones that's not are popping into my head. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh <sighs> <laughs> It's a pressure cooker. It is. It is. It is. Um, okay, I'm gonna go for. I know it's not. I know it's not this. So don't even. Don't even comment me. I just want to get something out of my head. Black Cauldron. It came out in the '80s. I know it did. <laughs> it's not Black Cauldron. That's a, a, <laughs> a lovely shout, though. Lovely to hear Black Cauldron get mentioned. Just want guys to know that I know it exists. You know. Yeah, one of the lesser lesser mentioned. Uh, Anna. Is it Disney? I think that might be Don. It is, it is. No, it is Disney. It is and Disney. You, you know what's really interesting about that um, is Tim Burton. Actually, was a concept artist on uh, on Black Cauldron. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, so we're in an interesting position here because you're you're sort of right on the right. I, I think you know that you're on the right track here, mm-hmm. and it's simply a case of figuring out which which one it is. Um, so I'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see if the next three clues help you at all because they may just confirm what you already think. But let's see. So clue three. Alan Menken, who also composed music for Aladdin, Hercules, and Beauty and the Beast, believes that the opening number of this film is the best he has ever written. Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, and what was the other one? Hercules. Hercules! Yeah, through the distance. Um, Okay, so it's not the same composer as Little Mermaid, then. He passed away anyway, uh, earlier than that. Um, I didn't mean to sound so dismissive there, uh, but yeah. 
Um, Prince of Egypt. <laughs> oh, a lovely shout! It is not Prince of Egypt. It is not. <sighs> you're, you're missing an obvious one here. Is all I'll, I'll I am. Say. I know. I know. I am. <gasps> okay. No. Clue. Clue number four. This might might give it to you. I th- I've got one in my head. This was adapted from a Victor Hugo novel in yeah. 1831, after which two of the gargoyles in this movie are named. Although they're not actually referred to as gargoyles. Oh, uh, okay, so I, it was in my head after the last, after I said the last answer. So I'm pretty sure it is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Let's just check with the computer. And ladies and gentlemen, he has done it. It is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. A solid two-point performance for Anthony James there. Anthony, how does it feel? It feels fantastic. Have the record show that I got it after the third clue, but I got the points for the fourth clue. Yeah. I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't need Victor Hugo to get it. I would have definitely got it from that. Yeah, I, you, were, you were like right. You were basically on the right track uh, from the first clue onwards there, really. Um, Black Cauldron? Come on, pretty good. Yeah. Thematically, thinking. I was, uh, I, I thought um, about, I mean, you got there anyway, but when I was writing that fourth clue, I thought I could mention Jason Alexander in this, but that's going to be too, that, that's going to give it, that's, that's handing it to him on a silver platter if I, yeah. if I give him Jason Alexander. Um, and the final clue, had you not have got it, had you, had you not have romped to victory in such a, such a convincing manner as you did, uh, this was former Disney CEO Michael Eisner's favorite movie, a uh, uh, favorite of the movies the studio produced under his watch. Um, oh, that's very interesting. Which I think, knowing Michael Eisner as I do, I suspect that's because they spent a lot of money on it. And while this did make a lot of money back, it was one of the worst kind of received critically and financially of the movies in that era. Which, to be fair, it's a high bar. You've got you know around that period, you've got like Lion King, Hercules, um, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast. Like what one might say, the best period that Disney animation ever enjoyed was was in that stretch. Yeah, and we'll also say that uh, the the sort of priest figure in it, um, you know, Disney seems to have a real history of like having these characters who are, it's really, really, really dodgy in terms of their their sexual interests. Let's just say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ro- uh, Rollo, Frollo, I think his name is in that <laughs> in that movie. It's one of those. Um, yeah, he he gets he gets it. He gets up to some stuff in that movie that uh, <laughs> that maybe wouldn't wouldn't fly in <laughs> in a disney movie nowadays i'll also say that the two directors who i said were moana and stuff i don't i think they were aladdin i think they were aladdin but yeah Is that so not john lasseter moana no no john no john lasseter well he's since left the company i think yeah. but but john john lasseter um was actually the head of disney in, in terms of the creative uh sort of animation and stuff oh, so okay. he wasn't the director of the films but he had taken creative control of disney as well as pixar at that time yeah okay that's now i think pete i think pete doctor is now the head of creative at well i think there's a group of them but pete doctor is one of them yeah that name definitely at pixar, at pixar anyway i i lose track to be honest but um yeah they, they, they run like a well-oiled machine over there well pete doctor's days. the existential one like he does like inside out soul all those existentially ones, you know. Yeah, Monsters Inc. You know, all the all the, all the, all the good ones. Actually, yeah. I like I like Moana as well. To be honest, like. Uh, well, Moana's not Pixar, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're all the. I I don't I don't distinguish anymore. I'm just like you know what, <laughs> they're all doing it. They're all under Disney now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Disney Disney made their bed with this, so they invite this confusion <laughs> by. By... Well, the thing is, the thing is, the reason why I just I, I still specify Pixar from Disney animation is because Pixar are still. 
we still have little enough films that they're like choosing a message for each one yeah. to be different than the rest. Like yeah. they have their family film and they have, you know, so they choose a different message for each one. Uh, eventually they'll have so many that they'll have to start repeating it. Like, but, um, but yeah. No, I, I'm being deliberately obtuse. Of course, they are distinct and we should respect them as such. I'm just ig- ignorant <laughs> of the difference. And therefore, as is as is my want as a personality on the internet, I reject any responsibility for recognizing the di- difference. Conrad, you make me Poco Loco. That's all I'll say. I don't understand that joke. And I'm that's, a, move that's a Pixar Coco joke. I've never seen Coco. One of the many I haven't seen. That's interesting. I, I've, not se- I've, I've not seen car- Cars as Pixar, right? Yeah, well, kind of, just avoid... I've- Avoid cars. Avoid cars. Okay. Cars yeah. one and three are okay. Cars two is absolutely terrible. It just it looked like a movie, uh, and I I don't I don't mean this to sound glib when I say this, and it probably will. But like when I when 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 I think about like Pixar movies, when you watch like a trailer for a Pixar movie, it's like Toy Story or <clears throat> or um like Finding Nemo, and it's like you know obviously these movies are to some extent designed aimed at children, but I can see like the appeal. Uh, in in the narrative to people of all ages whereas mm-hmm. when i looked at like the trailers for cars i was like this just looks like a kid's movie to me um yeah. which yeah, is fu- that, yeah that's what it is and, and it, so i just it just put me off kind of ever watching it really uh which is fair enough i think like you know you're not gonna miss much in your life if you if you skip cars yeah um but yeah like if you if you, if you lay in wake wake at night thinking i need to see more owen wilson in my life he that might be the way to go i mean yeah i can always do it you won't see him no, you'll hear him. Wow! Anthony, I'll tell you what's not a kids' movie, and that's a Quiet Place Part Two. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Let's talk in. about that. Um, um, so yeah. I, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna lead th- lead this off by saying, uh, I'm presuming presuming you have seen the first one. Uh yes, actually, I, I I actually really liked the first one. I did too. I I think the first one was an excellent horror movie um and and it it wasn't almost wasn't a horror movie to be honest it was more kind of family drama that just happened to have some have some some monsters in it Um, yeah yeah and i have a little bit to say about that but what's what are you gonna say there so we've both watched it and for those of you who don't (laughs) for those of you don't know this was a a return uh, uh for director writer john krasinski of jim what's his character called in the office Jim, Jim Halpert is that his name? Jim Halpert, yeah. Jim Halpert, they, they, yeah. Very original. They changed it from the English one, who was Tim, to Jim. Yeah, they'll never figure that out. Um, so, <laughs> and, and you know, it's starring pretty much the same cast. You've got Emily Blunt um, returning, uh, Millicent Simmons, and Noah Jupe as her kids. Um, a kind of stand-in for John Krasinski's character, which we'll get into yeah. in the form of Killian Murphy, and a blink-and-you'll-miss-it performance from Jimon Honsu, which was an absolute waste of everyone's <laughs> yeah. time, as far as I'm concerned. I love him. I love I him. I do as well. I was like, oh, sweet, Jimon Honsu's in this. And then I was like, oh, okay. Uh- <laughs> I-, I will say that he did replace another actor who was going to be in it, um, who pulled out very close to shooting. Um, oh, okay. So maybe yeah. maybe, they- maybe they didn't have time to to kind of flesh out that character. So, um, I-, I think that the-, the-, the real place to start here for me is that first quiet and i like and i, I apologize to people at home if you if you are going to find it tiresome that we're going to compare or I, certainly i am going to compare this to the first movie a lot um yeah. but it's a sequel the, those comparisons draw themselves deal with it yeah exactly so that first movie 
I think the thing that I really liked about that first movie was it had really strong characterization, really strong uh, kind of dramatic uh, ties between the, key, the those four core characters. And really the whole story was about this family trying to come to terms with the death of their youngest child as a result of <clears throat> a, you know, the, the, their deaf daughter making a mistake, essentially. And, and, and it, there, there was this like brilliant interpersonal narrative going on uh, that just happened to take place in... A horror movie or in a post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. kind of alien um alien infested world and i feel like this was missing a lot of that to be honest yeah like the original inspiration which got john krasinski excited for the script because he, he didn't write the original treatment he was given it and then he decided that he really liked it and he wanted to do it himself and direct it because he saw the important because i think he was about to have have a child at the time and or he just had a new child and he and he, he saw it as like a real sort of allegory for parenthood in a way in terms of yeah. protecting your children from the outside world um and i think obviously you can see the theme there carrying through into this one the idea of his his children through his his memory sort of forging their place in the world on their own which we'll get into a bit more later on when we're fully going spoilers but i think for me it is missing some of that sort of not quite horror aspect to it it was like john krasinski sat around the table with all of the academy award nominee nominated writers that year um because he was nominated for the for the for an oscar for writing this and that in my mind, I was like, this is a brilliant film. It's a t- it is like technically horror genre, but it's the type of film where I, should- I expected it to be a one-off. Like I did expect it to be a one-off and it was going to be a really high quality horror film with heart and it actually kind of transcends the genre. But no, here we are two, three years later with a sequel that missed, that missed a lot of what it had in the first film and is now potentially going to have more and eventually it's going to just turn into... Yeah every horror genre ever well that's really interesting you mentioned that and we'll we'll cycle back to a point that you've just made there in a second because i think the 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 genre of this movie the sequel when compared to the original bears some exploration but i think the 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 thing that i really want to kind of drill down on here is that you've got essentially the same cast with the addition of killian murphy and the subtraction of Mm -hmm. john krasinski's character who uh, who died in the the, the the end of the first movie, though he does appear in a brief flashback sequence. One of the best sequences of the movie, actually, I have to say, the opening uh, sort of action set piece where they show uh, the, the kind of small town where they mm-hmm. where they lived uh, as as the uh, the alien invasion first happens is very very, very good. But yeah, you've got you. Emily Blunt's character. Maybe this is me kind of speaking from a position of someone who was really excited to see how badass she was going to be um, at the end of that first movie, which, which you know, to, to remind people who perhaps haven't seen it, they figure out how to kill the aliens and they, they show the CCTV footage of like loads of aliens like rushing towards the house because of all the noise they've made. And she turns towards the camera and like racks the shotgun and it fades to black. And it's it's one of the most badass endings of a movie I've ever seen because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, Emily Blunt's going to go and fuck up some aliens at the end of this. And then in this movie, she's just kind of relegated to the sidelines completely. Like she does essentially nothing for this whole movie. Um, it starts promisingly with with her character kind of taking her kids away from the farm, looking for somewhere safe to go. And if the movie had kind of stuck with that, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I I think I would have preferred it. But I I just think they did her character so dirty uh, with what they gave her to do in this movie. 
I think I agree with you, actually. It's not something that I personally reflected on because I was thinking more about the arcs of the children. But yeah. you're, you're, you're exactly right, actually. It's, it's almost... This is very strange. In the first film, he wanted to have it be an allegory for parenthood. And in the second film, he's done exactly what you shouldn't do with parents and just make them nothing but bit part characters in their children's lives. Yeah, that, and 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 I think you you are I think you're right in saying that this is really uh, Millicent Simmons and Noah Jupe's um, story. Like, and I think they do a good job of mm-hmm. shouldering far more of the dramatic burden here um, because they really do need to. I think Killian Murphy is a great actor. I love him in a lot of things. Yeah, I didn't get a good sense of his character Emmett in this at all. I feel like he was he wasn't very well written i I just didn't i don't think he got enough time for me to really understand what his motivations were or or what he wanted out of anything well they didn't really need to do much with him in their mind anyway but they should have done more but it's because like we'll give this guy a kid when we meet him he hasn't got a kid that's all the character development we need for him yeah i mean that is literally his story is like oh his wife and kid have died and I guess he's bitter and, and upset about that, which is understandable. But it's a shame when you, when you, I think for me, when you take that sort of close knit family dynamic that was so so prominent in that first movie, and then kind of try to recreate the narrative of a father figure coming to terms with loss and and mm-hmm. and learning to love his children, or, or not learning to, he, he never stopped loving them, but learning to be kind of like openly loving and and eventually sacrificial um for for his children's sake they are essentially retreading the same ground but they're just doing it far worse with killian murphy's character this time round. yeah i think i think i agree with you like i do love killian murphy as well um but yeah it it, it was all predictable in terms of what his character was going to do there's yeah. no, there was nothing unpredictable i will also say like just to finish off the emily blunt situation um becoming like so sort of just to flesh out my point earlier becoming um sort of being taken over by by the, the the label of parent and losing your personality and losing your identity is something that my wife and I have talked a lot about and uh, and and really tried to combat. Yeah. To be honest with you, and I think that generations past wouldn't have done that. And like I think of my parents, for example, and my mother. Like she was nothing but a mother for twenty yeah. years. You know, nothing but a mother. And like you know, we are nothing but parents. Of course, being a parent permeates every part of your life but you still have to have some sort of individuality some sort yeah. of identity and and the, the the fact that you said that has really sparked this in this feeling in me about this film now it's like john krasinski started with such fantastic ideas in the first one of wanting to show parenthood and he's just succumbed to the to the to the the harsh reality that some parents <laughs> lose their yeah. lose their identity whenever yeah. they become parents it's really yeah. And Emily Blunt, I guess, I guess we'll start talking spoilers now. Like, but Emily Blunt literally spends this entire movie running around after her son, trying to stop him from doing dumb shit. Yeah. Um, which, <laughs> which is just like from the absolute kind of badass warrior woman that she is at the end of that movie, like kind of newborn baby under one arm, shotgun in the other. It's like, oh fuck, Emily Blunt's cool in this, and then to this where she's just like, uh, okay, I'm gonna stay in this factory for the whole movie while Millicent Simmons and Killian Murphy go off and fit, like save the world essentially. Yeah, it's like we got these these cool new characters which are like sort of weird uh sort of cultists kind of who we're going to kind of yeah. sacrifice you to the aliens. Oh like is is, is our main star Emily Blunt going to meet these people? No 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 no, no. Nope. she's no, no, not no. going to not not going to interact. Um is she going to make it to the island where everyone's been living normally? No no no. She's uh she's yeah. going to go on a medicine run 
and yeah. that's her whole story. Yeah, now, she she travels yeah. for like two days away from the farm and then stays in that position for the rest of the movie. Yeah, uh, to be honest with you, um, it really bu- it's a real bugbear of mine whenever there's a bit of painting over the seams in between films. Mm. Like, I don't really understand. If she didn't kill all those aliens that came at the barn or that came at the house in the previous one at the end, how did they escape then? Because there's not there's not bodies everywhere. There's one body. There's, there's, I think there's one or two. I think I remember, because there's one by the stairs, and I think there's another one um i uh, to be honest i don't remember how many they killed on on screen at the end of that just first one movie. just it's one, just they, one. F- they so, figured it out and they killed so one. i think you do see two bodies so maybe that's them implying that oh she has killed a bunch of them but i do i do agree that it's kind of it's disappointing for them not to realize that kind of action fantasy moment for for her character um certainly right. given yeah how they went with her for the rest of the movie yeah like okay I agree with you, but at the same time, I will say this: it's the first time I've been to the cinema in a year and nearly a year and a half. Yeah, and I went by myself because we couldn't we couldn't sort it out with babysitters and stuff. So I went by myself to the cinema. I was really weird to be in a dark room with lots of people. I had yeah. a lot of weird existential feelings. You know, like, um, has anyone ever? I don't know why. I'm just. I think I've been poisoned by the media. But has, has anyone like just like? when they're in the cinema, they don't trust anyone else in the cinema. You know, I just, <laughs> I'm just like, they could do anything to me right now. I mean, that's a, hel- that's a healthy skepticism of, of the cinema going public that you've developed right, <laughs> right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but basically, I will say, this film was nowhere near the quality of the previous one, but we've been no. talking very negatively about it. I'll say this. It was, it had enough drive forward the whole way through the film. Like, yeah. it was sort of, it was a continual journey. It was there wasn't really much pit stops in this one. They they did sort of just go right. Let's we know what the aliens are. There's no point in building them up again. Let's go bang 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 bang. Um, and I I kind of enjoyed the 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 pacing of it. To be honest with you, I thought the pacing was good. Yeah, I I think um the the. It, I'm going to give the impression that I didn't like this movie because I really liked the first movie, yeah, and yeah. this is this is worse than that by quite a considerable amount. With that said, it is still a decent movie. I still enjoyed it. I think in tr- I think in trying to kind of broaden the scope of the story they're telling, they actually dilute it quite a lot. Yeah. But it but it's still competently told. I think it loses its way a bit in the final act. But the first two acts, it's still tense. It's still uh, it's still scary. And mm-hmm. I tell you what boy howdy if you like pedestal shots of people's feet quite <laughs> yeah. place too got you covered there are this is like the goddamn lord of the rings with how many shots of people's feet there are in this in this movie normally bloody as well so if you're into that you're in luck um yeah. asmr has hit it big yeah um also <laughs> so I, the moment sorry the moment just to, to pick out a particular moment here i will say we didn't see much of it and we didn't definitely didn't see enough of it but the moment where, and I hope there's a third one, because in my mind, like, to have the same quality of the first one, it's either going to be a, a single-off great film or it's got to be a trilogy. Like, I, I, don't, I don't like the idea of just having two and done. I think the way this ended, we need to have another one because we need to have, like, see that moment where they were coming up to Killian Murphy's compound and they just took out the thing and, went, and, 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 and like, it went mental and they shot it in the head. Yeah. Uh, the, the feedback from the, from the speaker and they shot it in the head. I was like, right, we need a third film. I will pay money to go and see a third third quiet place where they're literally going around and killing them all like that. Like I would pay yeah. money to see that. 
Yeah, I, I, I think I would as well. I, I'm interested to see where the story goes from here and, and, and what they what they can plumb out of the narrative because they're definitely going to make another one with how well this is doing it out outsold godzilla versus kong um in its first weekend which is pretty exceptional but i mean people are starved for good films in the cinema at the moment i think or certainly films of this nature now this brings me to something i wanted to circle back to which is that is this a horror series what do you think it's turning into one um Hmm. i think it's definitely turning into one if it is a horror series it's the type of horror series I want to watch. Uh, yeah. Like if we're, if we're talking about if we're talking about actual okay, let's forget how good quality the first one was, and this is just a horror series now. This is sort of the horror series I want to watch. I don't I don't really want to watch any more exorcismy stuff or yeah. Conjuring, like Insidious I, and Conjuring, and I, yeah, I I like it the fact that it's aliens from another planet have come and they have you know I like the aspect of like having to be quiet. I I just I like this I, more creature horror films is is yeah. what I would like. I I, I think so. The the thing that like is re- that was really remarkable in the first film, and they do less of it in this movie, but they do still do it. Is the the film's willingness to be quiet. Um, obviously, clue is in the name, and there's several mm-hmm. deaf characters. Um, and that that their their deafness is represented through absolute silence. Often when things are being told from their perspective, I think. Part of my frustration with this movie is, the, and and I will admit that maybe the first one had this, and it, it's it's been a year and a bit, I think, since I saw that first one. So perhaps I'm just misremembering it, but I don't remember it it using the same tactics, so to speak. And this one felt a lot more jump scare heavy and very mm-hmm. reliant on one of my least favorite horror movie tropes, which is characters doing stupid things to propel the plot forward. Um, so we're, we're going to have to get into spoilers here. So there's a couple of moments in this movie. Um, the moment where Emily Blunt's character leaves Noah Dupe's character to care for her baby while she goes out to get medicine yeah. for him because he's got an infection. And for no reason, he goes wandering around the factory, uh, stumbles across Killian Murphy's wife's corpse uh, because she's died of her illness, gets scared, makes a lot of noise, aliens come we have a tense set piece there's no reason for that to happen other than yep. because he did something stupid uh there's a moment where uh millicent simmons character who is like kind of tracking to <clears throat> to the coast to try and find a boat to get to this island um you know she knows she she has to get there quickly because she's vulnerable and yet she stops to investigate a train car and uh but for, for no reason yep. and ends up attracting a bunch of monsters and it's just like on their own they're not awful they actually lead to quite scary quite tense set pieces but when you look at them it's like this is very lazy how you've gotten to this it's like we're gonna yep. have a scary moment here just because we need to have a scary movie uh, a scary moment and it doesn't to me, it's a little bit of a betrayal of how well realized those characters were in the first movie. Um, but I think I absolutely agree with you. I think this is a lot more of a horror movie than the first one. Um, and I don't mind if this is what we get in, uh, as, as horror. If this is like kind of the kind of horror movies that we get from now on, I don't mind that. But I, I think in leaning into its more horror aspects, it did yeah. lose a bit of what made the first one so unique. Yes, and I listen. I don't. I don't like to just to tear to tear people down, but I will say, John Krasinski hasn't really written much, mm-hmm. and A Quiet Place was basically almost a completed script when it was given to him, and it wasn't his idea, and then he applied his own ideas to it. 
Um, for the sequel, he wrote it. Um, yeah. And I didn't realise that, actually. That makes a lot of sense, like, when yeah. you compare them to each other. Yeah, and this one really does feel like when he started writing this one, he's like, right, I have to write a script from the start. Right, let me Google what's a horror film, you know? <laughs> yeah. Start at Friday the 13th, and let's go <laughs> yeah. from there. <laughs> yeah, like, that, that's what, that's what it, that's what it yeah. felt like. Seems like characters with. go wandering off on their own for no reason all the time. Okay, fine, let's put some of that in this movie. <laughs> like, no, John! You yeah. had it and you lost it. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And all those all those um sort of characters being stupid for no reason. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. Um it it really rang hollow. Um but I will say I I I noticed a little bit of a a message he's going for here or the sort of a he's he was trying to in my opinion mimic something from real life. Uh so something I noticed was a lot of the older generation characters, well the two of them. Um were very much uh, wanting not to ch- not to change their ways. No, we're, we're going to hide. We're going to stay safe, and we're mm. going to survive. Okay, uh, and the younger generation um, now spurred on by the memory of their father, I'm sure. But but they were um, they were more sort of willing to say no, no, no. We need to actively go and change this situation yeah. and save the world. And in my opinion, John Krasinski is actually making a statement and and sort of highlighting what is the case politically and like sort of movement wise these days it seems in the world like you have the march for our lives you have greta thunberg you have all these young people who are making big big plays on the on the on on the political stage and i think that there's a little bit of that in there you know yeah i think i think that's really well observed actually i hadn't i hadn't really thought about that but there is definitely there there is significance to the distinction between how young people are in this movie and how old people yeah. like like me are where it's like no 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 i'm gonna stay in my chair <laughs> and i'll wait for death thank you very yeah. much yeah. <laughs> like all the young people are like no let's change like the young people have got their like kind of boundless enthusiasm and idealism in this and it is that that i think to me that's probably now that you've mentioned that i think that's the thing that works the best for me out of this is and it's it's i'm not sure about noah duke because sometimes his character tips over into kind of annoying territory for me but millicent simmons is like yep like she has this kind of mm-hmm. burning intensity to, to and this sort of passion to change things which is really evident in her performance and i i re- that really really worked for me i think well the at the end mm-hmm. whenever they fight she finally gets these the the feedback through and yeah. noah duke hears it they have they have the moment where it sort of mimics that the two of them are married in what they're doing to the aliens that are they're next to them. So they yeah. they were sort of showing the two youngsters. Now obviously they are alluding to the fact that they're being like their father too. But yeah. <clears throat> but but I think there is that sort of real life mirroring going on too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no I think so. Um but yeah, I mean so I don't want to rag on this too much because I di- as I said before, I didn't dislike this movie. I enjoyed my time there. It was a worthy uh, movie to return to the cinemas for i will yeah. say yeah. um i'm glad we didn't come back for mortal Kombat or something like that because i <laughs> while i liked that movie it would have been a harder sell yeah um, although i could see on imdb here uh, quiet place three is confirmed well yeah it's, i'm it's, not surprised it's, it's in that. production i think so the impression i've gotten from people talking about this movie is that a lot of people think it's better than the first one which i think is insane <laughs> no but that's conrad the general moving going movie going public they want a horror film they want an edge of your seat jump scary film 
Mm. Whereas the original one, maybe people liked it because it was, it had those aspects in it. And they didn't, you know, if, if, say if you took all of the horror aspects out of the first one, right? And it was just sort of like an independent style on a farm, you know, and there are these aliens about, but there was no horror aspect to it whatsoever. Yeah. It wouldn't have been as successful. No, um, that's true. <clears throat> so they've, they've taken the part that, that, that brought the people to see it the last time. And instead of saying, hey, we, we accidentally made you see something of quality, <laughs> instead of being like, let's do it again, they were like, well, let's just give them what they thought they were going to get in the first one. Yeah, lots of jump scares, like skeletons falling out from behind doors like we're watching an Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that movie. whole train sequence is so dumb. I was, just, I was watching it like, what are you doing? We've already established that you're like a day's walk from the coast. Just walk to the coast. Stop faffing around. But but also, like, I don't really understand why it was so hard to get the first aid kit. Uh, yeah, I know there was, like, I know there was a body on the other side of the door, but like, come on, like that. Yeah. that... I, I I think the, the the last thing I will mention for this, just because it it made me laugh a bit, was the final act where they get to the island and they meet this community that have, re- have figured out the aliens can't swim and they're all living happily and making noise on this little island, and yeah. then it just immediately gets fucked up because. Apparently, the aliens learn to drive a boat. <laughs> no, did you not? Did you not see this? Is this is the this is the funniest part for me? Was when it went to the, after the whole little like sort of marina scene, yeah. and then like Millicent somehow you know got into a boat, yeah, <laughs> like it, driving it, picked yeah. him up out of the water. But anyway, we'll, we'll we'll leave that there. It then showed a long a wide shot of the island they were going to, and I see a boat in the foreground, and I was like, oh, okay, that's their boat. They're on the way. But then yeah. I focused on the boat. And it actually was the boat with the alien on top of it. It's like they actually showed it to you in the oh, wide wow. shot. Oh, wow. Okay, I thought that was their boat as well. So I, I, I didn't think... So w- wait, was it driving the boat or did it just drift to the island? Just drifted. It just drifted. That's, see, it still seems a little bit implausible. And also like the idea that this like island community doesn't have a single lookout on the coast to be like, there's a boat coming. <laughs> well, I will say it, it was... It was I mean, it was very obviously set up, but at least they set it up. Like, whenever they, before they found the little girl and then Kelly Murphy's neck got covered in bottles or whatever, yeah. um, they he did unlatch a boat. And then yeah, that's that is the true. one. So they did, set, like, set it up. Having said that, they, <laughs> this is, again, John Krasinski going to Google, how do you make a film? Because there was so much set up where I was like, like, Kelly Murphy at, at the baseball game, like, doing the symbol, like, the, the sign yeah. for dive. Oh, I was yeah. Like, Thank you. A, a there lovely return. You know, lovely there was, return. There was so many, there was so many, like, little setups like that where I was like, there it is. Thank you, uh, John Krasinski. We'll expect that in about an hour, you know? Yeah. Like, there was so many of them. I just, I feel like, I mean, tell me what you think about this, but I just feel like that entire island thing, I think they still needed to do it. They obviously needed to get to the radio station. Mm-hmm. I feel like they could have just cut all of that. Like, just have them turn up on the island, everyone's dead, but the radio station is still active. Just skip, because, like, you get this uh, you get this kind of weird reprieve before the final action sequence, where Jimon Honsu gets a little bit of a monologue, Killian Murphy looks out to the sea longingly and cries, which is the most characterization we ever really get from him. And then an alien shows up in the morning and kills literally everyone um including characters that we we haven't met before and it just it just doesn't work for me i just it's just wasted space i I think in that movie i think i understand yeah i know what you mean i understand the idea of having that little reprieve but the thing is the the film's only an hour and 37 minutes long 
it's, it, it's get it under ninety minutes. That's you, what we need to be back yeah, to. You take that out, you're all of a sudden around Scooby Doo levels of length. Oh, that's you know. what you want. Eighty two minute length. Yeah, Come on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what you want. But but the thing is as well, I think actually I'm thinking about that, the fact that they were going, if you're going to have that community on the island, right, what I would say the best thing to do would be to, now, again, we're telling John Krasinski how to, how to do his film here, but I would have preferred, instead of ending the film with, like, the, the signal being sent out, I think I actually would have preferred ending the film as they approached, like, maybe all of them went, right? They all went, and they and they approached the village with everyone being happy and making noise, there and that's the end of the film and then the third one yeah. comes back and you start in that that, that place and then the third one you got a storyline because all of a sudden now there's an alien on the thing and you could have all the tension from the first one around this village yeah i mean they they could have uh expanded that cult stuff in the marina and made yes. that, that made that the closing because again that's another thing that's just a bit like this this feels a bit tacked on like i would i yeah. like i would have liked to have seen more of this like doomsday cult of people who are... Also, also, it's it's been, it's been what a year and a half. What's yeah. what's going on? Like it's enough time to form a doomsday. Uh, you know what? Speaking, we we I wasn't going to mention this, but um, but I, I watched um Demolition Man uh this week <laughs> and talking about things changing a, a ridiculous amount in an implausibly short amount of time. I think that movie starts in like 1996 and he wakes up in like 2033 and by then like humanity has completely gotten rid of like all violence the the police force has been defunded like and demilitarized <laughs> and like language has changed completely it's just like oh i i miss i miss when sci-fi movies did stuff like that so maybe i should be maybe i should be grateful for a quiet place part two for just implying that in a year and a half people can turn into like essentially cannibals yeah like that's really weird isn't it like yeah i i, I didn't agree really with that with that i thought 10 years in the future it's believable now maybe in real life that would happen but it's it's like it needs to feel like a film like it needs to feel like, like it needs to feel like something that's tangible it's yeah. like it's like it's like Ema told me in terms of costume um there's particular uh if you go back in time right maybe three four hundred years or whatever it wasn't the fashion to have a white wedding dress but even though that is most films if they if they do wedding scenes previous to white wedding dresses being the thing they would they still have the bride in a white wedding dress yeah because or, or at least a modern looking dress in a way because we as we as an audience need to understand the visual language of what's happening and i and i kind of feel like having a doomsday cult like 400 days later with people literally like sacrificing other you know i kind of i kind of feel that that is sort of advancing and making it a little bit not believable you know yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I was into the aesthetic of it, but it is stretching the credibility of the world they've created. What are the bit. chances that in that little area, there was like 30 people who managed to survive and w were also the type of people to want to kill others? You know? Yeah, and they just like hang out in a marina as well, <laughs> by the looks of things as well, which is like... It's like, it's like in... Um in uh last man on earth the comedy with will forte he puts yeah. up signs saying alive in tucson they put signs up saying cannibals at the marina <laughs> <laughs> and a yeah. lot of people like oh that's where we can go and eat people I'm yeah down there. If, if that's what you're into that's the place to go um <laughs> yeah. but yeah so that i mean i think that's probably going to do it uh for us on on quiet place discussion uh any any final yeah. thoughts from you on 
on on the movie that we haven't discussed already? Um, no. Fine, fine. Nothing <laughs> I don't more think so. to say. No, that's cool. And like, so yeah, good movie, I think, but I can't wholeheartedly recommend it personally. Yeah. Um, but that's gonna do it for us here on the uh, the best movie podcast ever which leaves us with just one simple question to answer as we always do and that is anthony what is your favorite movie i think i've actually had this as my favorite movie before but i'm gonna go with it again anyway teenage mutant ninja turtles three excellent choice um they go to age japan they bring back casey jones for that one and that's all i can ask for um (laughs) i'm gonna say a quiet place one because that movie kicks a lot of ass uh So thank you to uh, Natty White and Jared Ascari for the use of our theme song. Check out a link to their stuff down in the thing below. Uh, and thank you to you for listening. Please consider subscribing to us. We are the Culture Cave on YouTube, the best movie podcast ever on podcasting apps. Um, and we will see you same time, same place next week. And cut. Cut.